Jewish Latin Princess episode 63, Ruth Devorah Wallen on happiness and emotional intelligence. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. Do you ever wonder what concrete steps you could take to be happy? Like seriously happy. Not just get by your days, which is what most of us do, but be in a joyful state of mind. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Today, I have the pleasure of bringing back to the show Ruth Devora Wallen, licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist. Ruth Devora is a friend of the show. She was with us back in episode 49, where we talked about meditation and her journey with meditation and her eventual development of Torah therapeutics, her therapy practice, which incorporates the teachings and wisdom of the Torah with psychotherapy. And today she's going to teach us concrete steps to impact our level of happiness and well-being and our emotional intelligence. Ever heard of that term? You will now. And I think we all want that. We're all craving that. And of course, we're going to learn how all of this is part of Judaism. Not like, oh, by the way, Judaism happens to talk about it, but rather uh, Judaism has been telling us all these techniques for thousands of years. Many of us just never knew it, didn't grow up knowing this and myself included, right? So you've probably heard me say before that Judaism is not just ritual, but a godly wisdom that encompasses every single aspect of our lives. If, if you've been reading Jewish Latin Princess blog for many years, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that this is part of what we communicate here. So of course, that means our bodies, our minds, and our souls. So let's get to it. Here's the lovely Ruth Devora Wallen. Ruth Devorah Wallen, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess for the second time. Que bueno, fantastico. <laughs> I want to tell you, I think you're, no, you're, yes, you're one of the guests who's appeared on the show twice, and I'm delighted to have you here again, because I remember our first conversation, I could have kept talking with you for hours. Well, please, God, we'll do it again, and maybe we'll do it again. Yes, so, um, so welcome back to the show. Thank you for this pleasure. I actually, it's summertime, and... And for some of us, this might be, I guess, a more relaxing time. But for others, it might be just a hectic time as well. Maybe they have to manage children who are normally in school and so on and so forth. And in the Jewish calendar, also, we are entering this period known as Bena Mitzarim, between the straits, which is the three weeks before the month of Av, which begin very soon in the fast with the fast of the 17th of Thomas, and then end with the tragic day of the 9th of Av. It's known to be a so uh, I'm going to use air quotes here, sad period for the Jewish people. When the month of Av commences, we're commanded to decrease in joy, which is an interesting statement in and of itself. So I thought we'd start off today's conversation talking about this concept of joy, of happiness, because there's also a time in our calendar, as you know, that we're asked to increase in joy. Mm -hmm. So 
I guess my question is, is the premise from the Torah, I know you have a lot of knowledge, both Torah knowledge and both knowledge as a, as a therapist. Is the premise here that we are, there's a certain baseline that we have to be happy as Jewish people? And if so, what does that even mean? Beautiful question. Oh my gosh, Yael. So first of all, the idea of mo'atim besimcha, that we diminish in joy, is a level of, you might call it mindful awareness, that you're entering a state of time when it would be considered, let's say, diminished joy because things happen. This is a season of a lot of very, very sad things that happen historically to the Jewish people, culminating in very, very devastating things, such as the destruction of the temple, etc. There were plagues, there were deaths, and different generations, very strange things happened during this period of time. So, to, to be mindfully aware, and also, if there's something let's say, inherent about the mazel, the energy that's coming down in this time, then we want to be even more mindful to protect ourselves, hmm. to be able to be above the mazal. It says, Ein mazal be Yisrael, that the Jewish people are not destined and defined by the mazal, the energy that comes from the constellations and the influences, that we can transcend it through our thoughts, speech, and behavior. So, if we know that this is a dangerous time or uh, a time that has a lot of negativity fraught with it, Mm -hmm. so we would want to be on top of it and be more aware of not doing dangerous things, taking greater risks. Like like you mentioned, you were implying the month of Adar is the time where it says uh, when Adar enters, you increase in joy. So, in that month, you're supposed to do things that might be a little risky. So, if you need to have a court case, do it in that month. Mm. If you need to buy a new house, see if you can close in that month, right? Things that are big and, and, and could be a little bit frightening at a normal time, you Use the energy, the positive energy of the month of Adar, its mazal, to be almost like an energizer to move you forward in that month. Now, you asked another, you made another point. Is it in line with the Torah's philosophy for us to be mo'atim besimcha? So, I'm going to share two basic concepts. In Devorim, it says, you got these punishments. In Deuteronomy, it says, you got these punishments because you were not besimcha. Right. Because you did not serve God with joy. And then... The Lubavitcher Rebbe says something really fascinating about this period of time, because you know Hasidus, and Hasidus Chabad in particular, likes to shed a positive, upbeat light on everything. Mm-hmm. It's the nature of it. It's like a laser beam illuminating the night. So the idea of darkness, according to Hasidus, is an illusion. And it's not as powerful as light. We can tell because you don't shovel darkness out of a room. Right. You, you ignite one candle and there's no more full darkness. You may need to ignite four candles to make it, you know, lit up or ten. But as soon as you light one candle, you dispel the darkness. Correct. Now, the rabbi said something fascinating about this time, Bein Hamid Sarim, which you aptly called Between the Straits, going through these very 
constrained, scary times, right? Metzar is a, a, a limitation, a boundary. Mm-hmm. Like the word Mitzrayim, right? Egypt is a place that we were enslaved and we have our inner Mitzrayim and our inner Metzarim now. The Rebbe said about these days, when you take that, I believe it's a Gomorrah quote, and you know my line, if it's, you know, <laughs> even if you don't know where it's from, say it's from the Gomorrah, nobody's going to refute you. But I, know, I believe and you'll it, sound so smart. <laughs> yeah, you sound really smart. But I believe it's a Gomorrah quote. Ma'atim Basimcha, the Rebbe translates in a very unorthodox way. He says, when Av comes in, Mo'atim, we diminish Basimcha with joy. Mm-hmm. So maybe we diminish in certain activities, but we do it Basimcha. Maybe we're using the caution of that month because it's a frightening time for the Jewish people. So we're more careful. We don't do risky things in that month. So we do it though, Basimcha. So again, the premise is, and that, and I guess the Reb is even reiterating my point, that we have to be happy. That's exactly. kind of like, that. that's not in question. <laughs> there is no Shiloh about being Basimcha. There's a, a law about it, and the Rambam discusses it, and I believe it's Hilchos Lulav, um, and he talks about the obligation to be joyous. Because in the laws of Simchas Torah and Sukkot, it says, V'samachta b'chagecha, you've got to rejoice. And it says, until him, Yivdu es Hashem b'simcha. So we have to be happy. So that's the Jewish way, of the way of happiness. And the world is now obsessed with this topic, the secular world. And, and of yeah. course, so what is it that we're lacking that, or that we don't know? If this is supposed to be just a de facto state of mind, where are we getting ourselves in trouble? Because uh, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't not... take too many newspapers okay. to get the, to read to get the sense that as okay. a society we're not too happy. Excellent, <laughs> excellent point. So it's not de facto or ex post facto. It's not. On the contrary, the Tillam Psalms say Evdu Simcha. You got to serve him with joy. It's not necessarily going to come automatically, especially to a person whose nature is not joyous. Mm. You may need to work at it. Now, why? Why do I think it's coming out now so much? Because as much as we think we've, we are globally connected by this internet, the world wide web that connects us, we are probably more distant from one another than ever because we're using smartphones that make us really stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry to use such language on your re- refined <laughs> program here. And what happens is we're being dragged by our brains into our phones. It's causing us to be more distracted. We're hopping from things to things. I call it digital distraction. And we are not having intimate conversations with people anymore. Even my best friend last night, I said, thank you for calling me. I I miss having real normal conversation. It's usually, oh, I got back-to-back clients. Okay, we'll talk later. And it's texting. And it's never really that intimacy that we crave. And I think the whole world is feeling that, do you know? your next-door neighbors? A lot of people don't even know who their next-door neighbors are. Right. I, I didn't mean to ask it as a question. It's a, it's, it's a, you know, a rhetorical question for anybody in the audience. Do we, do we actually speak to people now? If we were able to, let's say, statistically determine how much have we spoken in the last year to our loved ones versus texted them, I would imagine in the last couple of years, the texting has increased and the speaking has decreased. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I would imagine. And 
so and and because we're pressed for time people find this an efficiency but what it's doing it's a deprivation now in the work uh, of neuroscience so we know that we can change that the brain can change and we can improve ourselves through certain very basic things and according to the work of andrew newberg who is a wonderful neuroscientist outside of pennsylvania philadelphia mm-hmm. so he chose a particularly specific field of neuroscience called neurotheology. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? If you took a a wild stab at it, what would you say that field was about? I guess the combination of neuroscience and theological beliefs, religious beliefs. Exactly. Basically, his premise is God is in the brain, and you can't get rid of God, and he's with you, whether you like it or not. And why does he say this? He sounds Jewish. <laughs> he is Jewish, Andrew Newberg. But he's not an observant Jew, but he, he's really very motivated and stimulated by the research. And what is the research? In the last 10, 20 years, we've got these MRIs that scan the brains and can see what gets activated and lit up and from what. So let's say a scary thing lights up a certain part of the brain, like the amygdala, mm-hmm. right? And a uh, you know, a calming thing lights up another and a noisy thing lights up another and a visual thing lights up another. And according to these MRI studies, when they took people like monks, uh, nuns, uh, people who, you know, gurus who were meditating, Buddhist, you know, uh, monks or people from the West who were trained to meditate regularly, ongoingly, or those people who were religious, when they were dealing with a religious thought or concept, when they were praying, when they were meditating on God or their belief in God, the brain lit up crazy, crazy. Mm. So he said, God is good for the brain. God is the number one best thing that you can do for your brain, belief in God. That's his first premise. So once he saw God is so good for the brain, he decided to become a neurotheologist. God's, God's in the brain anyway <laughs> let, let me see how where he f- appears so then in his studies he saw the next best thing that people could do for the brain and this is really the reason why i discussed this topic altogether of neuroscience is he says intelligent conversation between two people mm-hmm. he doesn't say texting he doesn't say you know uh, surfing the net he doesn't say sitting in your room reading a book talking to another person with intelligent conversation is the number two best thing you can do for your brain next to believing in God. That is incredible. So what what why is the world so sad? We we forgot how to be human. And you you know in the four strata of creation, there's domain, somea, high, and madaber. Domain is the mineral kingdom, then there's the vegetated, then the animal, then the human kingdom. It's not called human. It's not called Adam or Ish or Isha. It's called Midaber, mm-hmm. speaker, mm-hmm. the speaker. It's the speaking kingdom. That's what we are specialized in. That's what we know how to do. We're the only creation who really has this kind of intelligent speech. Mm-hmm. And it's good for you as long as it's good intelligent speech speech. right so this is a huge takeaway because really if we want to say a a number one tip if we want to boost our happiness like right now take time tonight to sit down with your spouse and just talk over tea take an hour without your cell phones and talk call your best friend make a date 
pick up the phone and call her and have a conversation. I mean, yeah, you know, I I believe, believe it or not, last night, I had this very strange thought in my mind. In the olden days, you wouldn't hesitate to pick up a phone and call. Right. Last night, all of a sudden, I said to myself, should I call him? Should I text him? Should I? I'm like, why am I even asking? We've gotten so used to the texting supplanting the real communication. It's so true. I do that all the time. And it's ridiculous. I always say, well, why should I call her? Maybe I'm going to bother her. Or maybe I was thinking of a friend whose husband is not well and he's been in the hospital for a while. I should just right. I should just text her and then I'm like, it's ridiculous. Why shouldn't I just pick up the phone and have a conversation with the person? And the warmth of the voice. Right. Like like I tell my friend, I just want to hear your beautiful voice. Hmm. Texting rots. I don't say rots, I use a different word, but we'll keep it clean over here. <laughs> So we- I, 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 yeah, so I think one of our happiness things would be for us to reach out to others and be giving and receiving through speech. That is one intervention that could help us be happy. The second thing is that happiness, it's elusive, but it's not totally elusive. What do you mean? But it, 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 It's not easy to gain, but if you do certain various things, you can get it. And as I said earlier, the quote from from. Psalms is evdu es Hashem basimcha. You got to serve God with joy. So that means it doesn't necessarily mean it's easy for everybody. There are people who are by nature a little bit lower mood or depressed, so they may need to work at it. But we know that there are things, especially what's fascinating about this new neuroscience. The Torah knew it all. The Torah knew about happiness and gratitude and hakarasatov is is a Torah principle. It's not lahavdil what Buddhists just sent from the east to the west in the last 50 years. So we really need to get back to our own sources and find out what does the Torah say about being joyous? Well, well, one is to be in the moment, to have simcha shel mitzvah, hmm. the moment that we're doing the thing to get really into it. So in other words, remember the dumb phone that we referred to before? Yes. <laughs> or the smartphone that makes us dumb? So imagine my, my child comes in with a cute painting that he painted at camp. Or my daughter comes in with a, a star on a paper, a worksheet that she did with a, you know, a hundred percent on it. And I don't engage with them. And I'm focused on a text or cooking. Okay, kids, it's really cute. Really nice. Thanks. Put it on the table. So or, you, you or, miss out on, on rejoicing in the moment and staying in that moment. Right. I think it's critical for us mothers to just hide those phones when the kids come home from school. Yes, you gain presence of mind. Those things are so distracting. They pull us from everything. But I think it gets even worse, uh, Devorah, and this might be a little bit controversial, and I I personally struggle with this because the nature of my work depends a lot on social media and whatever. I happen to be a very private person, so I'm always constantly struggling with how much I can share and so on and so forth. Plus, I, I... I just whatever I just don't don't feel so comfortable in every moment but there is also this tendency of not just that you're busy with something else but that instead of connecting with your child and discussing what he did what he accomplished and so on and so forth we go and snap a picture and we get busy in putting it on Facebook to show to everybody and we didn't enjoy that moment we didn't savor that moment you have to savor exactly sometimes I'm at my kids events and I say oh this would be such a great thing for me to post about and then I'm like yeah but then I'm not here and so I just just don't do 
it. And then people say, well, why don't you post more things? I'm like, because I want to be present in whatever I'm doing with my spouse and my kids. (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? That posting is the, let's say, the avatar reality. It's not a reality. You know, I I always joke with my husband, when I post something on Facebook, I know if it's going to get traction. Hmm. If it's a silly little picture of a flower or a hummingbird in my backyard, it's going to get tons of traction. If it's something thoughtful or deep or intimate or longer than a few sentences, it's not going to get anything. We've become very superficial. Not that flowers and hummingbirds are superficial. I love them. That's why I'm sharing them. But the other content, if it's not a meme that could be taken in in one sentence, nobody has time. When people say to me in my practice, when I say, you need to take a little time for yourself. Oh, I don't have time for myself. (laughs) Well, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You got to take time for yourself. Right. I think I think in general, we need to learn to um, take that phrase out of our lexicon and just because whatever we don't have time for, it just means it's not a priority. That's, exactly. really, that's really what it means. Exactly. And if, if I am not a priority, and I don't love myself, and the mitzvah is, you love your neighbor like you love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you figure, huh, why should I bother with anybody else? You don't really think that. But, you know, you don't, if you don't have that sense of importance of self-care and self-love, then you can't give it that proper importance for another. Wow, I love that. That's, that's, that's very, very powerful, very insightful. I don't think I'd ever thought of that. And um, it, you just reminded me that I did hear Dina Hurwitz a couple of maybe a year ago, she was here in town, and she did Beautiful. speak about that. She did say that she thinks the number one thing that our generation needs to work on is actual is self-love. <laughs> It's sad because it, it because in society, in certain circles, and in our religious lives, you might think that it's selfish, but ultimately it becomes the most selfless thing. Because if I'm healthier, if I'm happier, if I'm more energized, if I'm more buoyant, then I can give to others much better. I'm not resentful. I'm not dragging my feet, avoiding things. And what's amazing is that the Torah has told this to us for thousands of years. <laughs> yes, and that's why I say, you know, uh, that the Torah is that the science is finally catching up with the Torah because the Torah knew all of these principles. And this, the weird thing is, is there are maybe not enough of us to disseminate the concepts, but you only hear about how wonderful Buddhism is, right? Yeah. If, if you look at if you look at people who are doing meditation and gratitude journaling and compassion work and happiness work, all the theorists are Jewish, but they're Bujus. Yeah, I was going to say that, and I appreciated that at the beginning when we were talking about the Mazalot and the energy of Adar versus the energy of Av. You were talking about all this energy. And I was thinking, I hope people are really listening because many people think of Judaism as this ritualistic um, practice, yeah, yeah, and they exactly. forget that we have all of this. Come on, we we are we are the new age from the old age. We, right, we, I love that. <laughs> we we were groovy before groovy was groovy. <laughs> we we knew neuroscience before neuroscience even had a name. As a matter of fact, remember in the previous conversation we spoke about meditation and yes. my response to the Lubavitcher Rebbe's request. The Lubavitcher Rebbe is or was so so prescient and so prophetic. Mm-hmm. He knew things that didn't even exist in neuroscience yet. He was pushing Rabbi Tversky in the 60s to get involved in a kosher therapeutic parv sort of meditation. And then in the 
70s. The science hadn't come out until the last 20 years. Right, right. The real research now and the efficacy of some of these techniques is only coming out now. It takes 20 years to do the research. And the Rebbe knew already. So it's our job to there disseminate were, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there were movements that were just fledgling. The, the particular person I'm thinking of, and I, I have a feeling this is what the Rebbe was cluing into, Dr. Herbert Benson from, from Harvard. So Dr. Herbert Benson developed a power of meditation, just a therapeutic meditation. He says, you don't need a religion. You need a quiet place, an object of focus, and a relaxed attitude about it. That's it. Right, right. Yes, we talked about this in our last conversation, everybody that's in episode 49. If you want to <laughs> deeply into meditation, so parv meditation, Jewish meditation, and everything in between, the, so, the talks about it. Yeah, thank you. So so the, the point is, there are things that we can do to make ourselves happier. If we, you know, I, I have a certain, um, I, I like using mnemonics and helping people remember what they need to do and certain techniques. And one of the mnemonics I use, and it's it's the basis for a very wonderful webinar or seminar that maybe maybe you and I'll do it one day. It's called GEMS. Oh, cool. And okay, what does it sound for? Polishing your gems. So the G is the altruistic thing, the God piece, the going out of yourself, the giving, right? Going mm-hmm, beyond mm-hmm. you. That G is God, the giver. The E is the health element, so eating well, exercising Mm. well, right? Doing safe physical behaviors, lifestyle things for your health and well-being. M is for living in this moment. There's no other moment. Mm -hmm. Meditating, being mindful, being present. And then the S is for sleep. I was wondering if that when when was sleep going to come there? Yeah. (laughs) I'm happy you brought it up. Maybe, (laughs) maybe, you know, last but not least, you know. So sleep, you know... I, I'm, I became a sleep balchuva after reading Why We Sleep. Yeah, me too. Uh, and and really, the fact is, is that these four things, if we keep up with them, we at least have a basic homeostasis. I will wager that the average person listening is not keeping up with those basic things. So it's no wonder why we're not happy. We're not taking care of our basic needs. You know, food and mood are related. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? So if a person eats healthfully, lots of vegetables, vegetables and fruits if they're able to eat fruits and and you know minimizing on you know unhealthy carbohydrates and things like that they will feel better i i had a little boy once in my practice actually the mom was in my practice mm-hmm. she called me up she goes i don't know what to do about i'll call him uh Schmerl. every time he comes home from school he knocks over his sister's dollhouse and what she's playing with and destroys her toys I said, I know what school he went to, and I knew the lunch fair, Mm -hmm. and I know the kind of snacks that mommies send with their children. Mm. So this was immediately what went into my mind. He ate cereal and milk at school at 8.30. So his blood sugar went way up, and so he was good and chumash and davening, and then, woo, it went down at 12, right? Then they gave him lunch, and lunch consisted of maybe pasta Pasta. and, and, you know, eau de fish sticks, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, right, carbohydrates with a little, oh, you know, aroma de fish, right? And then after lunch, so he's up for a little bit and then he's down. By the way, they were smeared in ketchup, so. Oh, yes. (laughs) So more sugar. More sugar (laughs) with the high fructose corn sweeteners. Exactly. 
And then he plummets, and then it's snack time. And then what is he going to have? Let's say uh, potato chips and an apple juice, or pop and a and a you know mm-hmm. whatever popcorn bissily. So he's going to have another roller coaster of carbohydrate ups and downs. So he's gone up and down this roller coaster a few times today. I forgot the morning snack, you know, which was an orange juice and a and a cookie, yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. No, by four right? o'clock, the kid. What do you expect? So the first thing I asked her, she thought I was a nut job when no, she said he right. he's breaking her things and i don't know what to do and it's every day now i said he needs dinner mm-hmm. a high protein snack or dinner right now yep right now feed him ground him she thought i was crazy i said and if you want you can call your daughter to dinner get done with it feed them or both right now so lo and behold she started feeding the kids at whatever it was four forty-five when the boy entered five o'clock he stopped he stopped it's the carb roller coaster that was killing him so going back to why I mentioned that in the gems, in the E element, the health element, the the eating and exercise element, eating can be a source of depression or anxiety. Hmm. Why is this world crazy? Well, guess what? Our diet rots. And people in the blue zones, in the place where people live the longest, they're not eating this garbage. They're not eating Big Macs and, and pizza and French fries with, with high fructose corn syrup, you know, tomato-y sauce. Right. <laughs> they're, 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 eating, they're eating a Mediterranean diet. They're eating, you know, veggies and proteins and healthy stuff, not products that we're eating. So we we might be partially not such a happy society because we're not happy with our bodies. They're getting flabby. We're not happy with our moods. They're going up and down with our foods, right? So all of these are very practical tips. I mean, and again, going back to the Taurus concept of happiness, but bringing it to practicality. I love how you're bringing it down to us. I mean, connect. So as a therapist, you know, I'm not going to be spousing too much Torah, but the Torah wants you to live in your body. Exactly. There's a there's exactly. a, a mitzvah in the Torah. It says Vinishmartem Maod Esnafshosechem. We shall very be very, very careful to guard our body. Right. Actually. It's our tool to function in the world and make a difference in this in this world. We gotta take exactly. care of it. Exactly. It says actually Esnafshosechem, guard your souls. Why does it say guard your souls? Because if you don't take care of your body, your soul's gonna pop out of it right. <laughs> and go to the next realm. Right, right. So it's a two fold work we got to take care of our souls and we got to take care of our bodies Um, and our minds and our minds it's actually three mm, three legs of this stool body mm, mind and soul mm. Right? Because the soul is one, the body is another. But if, if you're not taking care of your mind, so I could even go through the eight great things you can do for your brain just really quickly. Go for it. Tell yeah, us. Because that's your mind. So one is to believe in God. Two is to have intelligent conversation with people. Mm-hmm. Three is the E element, exercise, aerobic exercise. Get your heart beating and your, your breathing going. Four is to meditate. Remember I told you he's he studied all these people the religious ones went woo crazy the meditators you saw a calming of the 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 mind and body through the meditation number five believe it or not is to yawn he even tells you that in in his book that you should practice trying to yawn are you serious yeah i never heard that one opening your mouth and and causing a yawn it's it's interesting because it flies in the face of breathing through the nose uh that is highly recommended by certain techniques and to try to conserve on open mouth breathing but a yawn 
the function of it, as I understand from Dr. Newberg, is since the brain is this power generator, it, it, it's it's actually using 25% of the energy, the glucose that we take in. And the brain, I'm, I'm not speaking about your brain, but <laughs> the brain, brain is very small relative <laughs> to the rest of the whole body, right? All right. What is it? A, a hundredth of the size of the body? It's, it's a couple pounds. It's like a, a hunk of tofu, <laughs> right? So that little thing in your head is using 25% of the glucose. Think about it. But wait, there are arms and legs that need to move. There's a heart that needs to pump. There's kidneys that need to filter. There's a liver that needs to filter. Oh my gosh, right? It's using 25% of my energy. So his premise there is just like in a big, you ever seen those big uh, uh, mainframe computers? There are coolers in those rooms. And, and some people, I have a little laptop fan, a fan to cool the motor of your computer. Right. So your, your, your brain is a supercomputer. It's expending energy. It's getting hot. It needs a coolant. So he his premise is that the yawn opens it up and actually functions as a coolant for the brain. That's number five. Number six is to intentionally relax. That doesn't mean sit on the couch with a bag of potato chips and watch your favorite movie. Really? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Popcorn neither. No, intentional relaxation means I'm going to sit here and just quietly breathe. Or I'm going to sit here and just quietly listen to nature. Or I'm going to do a particular breathing technique. Or I'm going to go to a safe place, a guided imagery in my mind. But how could we ever do that if we're always holding our phone? <laughs> and watching the movie with the popcorn. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, 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 you know, I have a premise about that phone. The phone, a- any woman who tells me, I don't have time to meditate, I tell her, do you have time to WhatsApp? Do you have time to go on Facebook? Do you have time to go to in- Instagram? Do you have time to text your girlfriend? Well, that was far more than six minutes and six <laughs> seconds. Right. My beginner's meditation takes six minutes. They laugh at themselves. They say, you're right. It's true. You know, and so so to intentionally relax might be a breathing technique or something. You know what? I teach a breathing technique that takes no time. Don't excuse yourself to say that you didn't have time to breathe. If you don't have time to breathe, you're not alive. <laughs> right. We're all breathing. So just, you know, improve it. And then number seven is to do things that are intellectually stimulating, like learn a new language, learn a new hobby, ride a bike, play play music, to, you know, to learn learn a musical instrument, do puzzles that are brain, you know, brain utili- utilizing do brain teasers. And the eighth great greatest thing that you can do for your brain is to smile. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I'll send those to you. You know, if you want, you could put it on your blog. I'll send you a little a little meme with with the eight great things. I love it. You know, I read a, a couple of years ago, there was a great column by Rabbi Aaron Moss, Moss on, I think it was the Nishay Chabad magazine. But anyway, somebody asked that, you know, people are telling her that, you know, she should smile more. Why is she always looking so down? And so she's saying, well, why do they care? Like, it's my face and it's my body. You know, I'm not mm. feeling up to it. And he gave her a brilliant answer 
he mm. said to her, and obviously I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, excuse me, you look at your face once or twice a day when you brush your teeth and, you know, when you, you know, look in the mirror, but like the rest of us out in the world, we have to look at your face. What, who, what gives you the right to put a face? How sweet. How sweet. <laughs> I know? love that. What gives you the right? We're the ones who have to deal with your face. So just smile. And by the way, it has great benefits for you. So just try it. <laughs> yeah, it's good for you too. Right. But that's, that's a great response. But there's another thing that relates to this is, and he discusses it in his books as well. People wonder why when you yawn, other people yawn. Oh yeah. Why is that? Yeah. So he explains that there's a, there are mirror neurons mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we mirror people. So if the person is frowning, right. walk, walking down the avenue, they're going to affect other people. It's not just that we're stuck looking at their frowny face. That might bring us down too. And when somebody smiles, you smile. Yeah, and this is an important one to remember as mothers because if your kid is going through an anxious moment, instead of getting more anxious, you really have to calm yourself down so that the mirror effect starts happening and to calm your kid down. Exactly. I say my moms are, I tell them that they are the cell tower sending the vibration out to their own universe. They're sending it out to their children and husband and, and students and whatever, you know, it's not it's it's not good but i wanted to mention another thing you know the torah knows everything as we've mentioned over and over it says kamaim panam el panam kain live adam el adam just like water reflects face to face similarly is the heart of one person to another right so you send the vibe out they send it back when I work with couples and one of the couples is really out of control, <laughs> yelling and freaking and screaming, I say to the other one, you calm down. Me calm down? <laughs> She's the nut job. He's the nut job. No, yeah, you calm down because she needs your calm to calm her own nervous system. It sounds like very counterintuitive. I had a postpartum lady, a very severe PTSD postpartum because mm-hmm. she had had a PTSD experience pri- prior and I do believe there's a reactivation of things that are not fully resolved sometimes with mm-hmm. postpartum diagnoses. So she went wacky and threw, throwing things and yelling at her husband and mm-hmm. calling him names. And, and it was scary for him and the children that were there and a new baby, a brand new baby. So he said to his rabbi, I got to take the kids and leave. The rabbi freaked. He called Phyllis Mintz at our community council in Crown Heights. She said, no, 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 you got to talk to Rustavora. So he called me. I said, send the husband. She, he goes, no, 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 no. The wife is going crazy. I said, send the husband. Mm. So he said, okay. I said, the wife is not Masugal. She's not available. She's not She's appropriate. Not a She's not a clea yet. She's not able to hear. She's too sick. So the husband came. I said, look, if you want this to work, you cannot leave the house with a brand new baby who needs to be nursing and needs to bond with his mother. And you cannot take the other children. It'll be more disruptive for her and your life. You stay at home, but you need to calm your nervous system down. And I'm going to teach you some techniques and I'm going to ask you to do them at least once a day. So I taught him my basic meditation technique. This was before the the recording that I Mm -hmm. give out now. And it was about five minutes long. 
And he started doing it, and he started calming down. And then he realized, you know what, the more I do it, the better it'll be, because she said at least once a day. So he did it before she yelled at him, (laughs) after she yelled (laughs) at him. He did it while he was sitting in the car in the driveway before he came in for dinner after work. And then he did it again after she yelled at him again. And this man calmed down so much. And I I like to get the men so calm, or or the spouse, The other, it's not always the man, the other person so calm that the other party, the spouse, gets jealous jealous. So lo and behold, he got so calm. She's wondering, what's he smoking? How is he so cool and calm and collected? And he told her, I'm doing a meditation that this lady gave me. She goes, can I have it? So he texts me, can I give it to her? I said, this is the moment we've been waiting for. Right. This is the tipping point. (laughs) Right. So she started doing it. Then she started coming to me regularly. Oh, beautiful. Then he, you know, he and she started coming as a couple. And then when they both were in really good shape, they said, we would like to use this night. We've got a babysitter. We want to go on a date. I said, go for it. So this couple did really well with these self-regulation techniques. And and that, I believe, is the key to this mirroring concept. Like you said, if you can be present for your kids, right, if you can calm yourself down, they'll be better off. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the truth is, as women, when 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 mom is well, when the wife is good, everybody's good. Yeah, I'm <laughs> happy ain't nobody happy. Exactly, exactly. Rusevara, do we have time to discuss a little bit on emotional intelligence? Because I know you discussed this sure. recently in a sure, le- fascinating I'm lecture. I'm make a, a totally separate talk about that. <laughs> well, I, I'd like us to, why don't you introduce the concept and the importance of developing this emotional intelligence for those who might not be familiar with it and then explain to us how you've connected it with Torah. Okay. So you have a very specific question or you want me to just ramble? What is your... No, first tell us what it is for those who might not be familiar, although it's become something popular and then and then let's discuss, you connected it, you walked through, I remember you said several steps of how yes. you, right? Yes. Did you receive the handout? I do have it, yes. Okay. So... Emotional intelligence was popularized by Daniel Goleman. Uh, Peter Solovey and his colleagues kind of developed it at Yale. And basically what they're recognizing is intellect alone does not make a person a successful person in life. You can be highly intellectual and turn people off or not be able to have friends. You know, and as we've learned already, part of Simcha is having relationships right. and intimacy, right? So basically... Basically, their premise is if you're more in, in, in tune emotionally, so you will likely be more successful. And, and they, they say, you know, one of the things I said in that talk was in one of the books, they say, you know, being really intelligent might land you a job, mm-hmm. but being emotionally intelligent will help you keep it. Right, right. Right. You could get the greatest job, but if you're a horrible manager or you're a mean person or you're, 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 you're awkward in public, you may not be able to keep it. So the basic basic premises of emotional intelligence are self-awareness, mm-hmm. self-management, adaptability, achievement orientation, social awareness, relationship management, and teamwork. 
So first, self-awareness. So, you know, basically my premise is the Torah knows everything. Gemara and Hasidus and Musar and Halacha, that's godly intelligence. We don't want anything less than a godly intelligence. Who said we should divide it from IQ, intelligence quotient, and emotional quotient? There's a godly intelligence. Hmm. And that includes the body, mind, and spirit. That includes emotional, intellectual, and mystical intelligence. So, you know, like for instance, Spheres HaOmer, I, I consider that the ultimate emotional intelligence system because you're learning how to use your emotions, how to be kind, how to be strong, how to blend, right? So, I, what I did is I took each of Daniel Goleman and Peter Solovey's themes, these basic themes, and showed how they're from the Torah originally, like self-awareness, cheshbona nefesh. The Rebbe speaks in Hayom Yom about how you need to recognize the problem if you're going to cure it. Right. So if you, you don't have self-awareness, uh, you know, and that self-management, well, uh, the animal soul comes with us when we're born. Mm-hmm. And, and the prefrontal cortex, the Chabad, the intellectual cortex, only is developed in our 20s, is fully developed only, you know, like when we're 20 to 25. You know, I'm sure your audience is mostly females, but our brain develops quicker. <laughs> don't don't insult your don't, husband don't with that. Don't tell the men. <laughs> don't tell them. They, they, they don't know. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> they're not they developed all know it. enough. Right. Shh. Yeah, and you know, you see a bas mitzvah is twelve and a bar mitzvah is thirteen. And and very many different things in the Hasidus Chabad and in Musar are about self-management, right? Right. Who is the Gibor Hakoveshis Yitzro? Right? And the Zohar says, Moach Shalev. Oh, I'm sorry. Who is the, the, the hero, the one who's able to be strong over his, his Yetzer, his mm-hmm. impulses, mm-hmm. right? Moach Shalit al Halev is from the Zohar. That means the intellect is able to control the emotions. You know, and people like Viktor Frankl explain mm-hmm. that, you know, this this is where our humanness comes from. If we can pause and not react, but respond what I call in a responsible way with the word, the letter A in the middle, response able. Mm-hmm. So we're able to respond, not just have a knee-jerk reaction, we're, we're responsible. We're right. doing this in a calm and kind way. So... That's Moach Shalit al-Halev. Viktor Frankl says, between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our happiness. So that goes back to what we were talking about. How do you get happy? Stay here. Stop running there. Then adaptability, well, we know in the Torah that you have to kind of give in for peace, let go and let God, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you need to compromise to be able to, you know, let someone have their way if the priority is the goal and the goal will not be arrived at if we're not compromising. Achievement orientation, oh my gosh, the, who, who, who would you say, what cultural group is the most long-standing <laughs> achievement-oriented population in the world? No, no disproportionate Nobel Prizes, disproportionate famous doctors, scientists, uh, you know, therapists, etc. So the Torah is very rife with that. Pirkei says that 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 action is the essence. And more ma'atva say harbe do say little and do much. Do more, mm-hmm. do much. And then positive outlook. Uh, duh, the Torah is always into optimism, right? David Amelik said, "Eve to us Hashem b'simcha," and the Rebbe explained that's not just in davening; that in all of our activities, we have to be b'simcha, right? right. And it says in Pirkei. 
of us who should greet every person with a happy countenance. Why? Because you smile, they'll smile back, right? And then social awareness, duh, empathy, like we said, you'll be socially aware if you're aware of yourself. That idea of just like the face of the person, you know, reflects face to face. We've got to be aware of, of the other person. Clue in. Clue in. And, and that also that principle from Pirkei Avos, the, the Altadin, not, not to judge somebody yeah. until you're in their shoes, which you will never be. So try to put... Exactly. exactly. Try to put yourself in the shoes of the other person. That's and empathy. That's el- empathy at the ultimate level. Right. And then relationship management. Well, once you've been able to do these things and you're able to keep yourself calm and you're able to you know regulate your self and you're able to be sensitive to the other and be empathic and socially aware and you have a positive outlook then you can really have a good relationship you can be you know aware of others you can take that responsibility to act kindly and gently and not freak out and then finally teamwork oh say shalom right hashem wants us all to be one people it says that the jewish people stood at the mountain this was the holiest highest time ever that's why we were zocha to receive the torah we were one people with one heart hashem loves it when his children are friendly with each other we have to have humility and and be able to be available to the next person and inspire the other in a teamwork and a leadership way so those are the basic principles we could go in deeper maybe at another time but you this know is i fabulous i did at the beginning quote some very beautiful quotes that show us that emotional intelligence is so far back so firstly in pirkei avos rabbi yochanan said go and see which is the best trait for a person to acquire rabbi eliezer said a good eye a, rabbi yoshua said a good friend rabbi yose said a good neighbor rabbi shimon said to see what that which is born to see the consequences of what you do. And Rabbi Elazar said, a good heart. Mm. And Rabbi Yochanan said to them, I prefer the words of Rabbi Lazar, the son of Arach, to yours, for his words include all of yours. That's the ultimate emotional intelligence. Right. A good heart that contains being, being, you know, getting, uh, having a good eye, having a good friend, seeing what your consequences of your actions are. A good heart could include all of that. And then in Pirkevos again, Benzoma, who's wise, who's mighty, who's wealthy, who's honored. So the one who learns from every person, the one who subdues his impulses, the one who's happy with his portion, the one who honors others. Hello, that sounds like you just took it out of Daniel Goleman's book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So the Torah, as I say in just about every talk, knew everything from day one, and there's a lot to be learned. That Pirke Avas always resonates with me because it reminds me when I was younger and I was looking to get married. Um, I had a conversation with my rabbi. I was becoming religious at that point, you know, and we had a conversation about what should I be looking for. And this whole mm-hmm. conversation, the bottom line is, he told me, "You marry somebody with a good heart. Everything <laughs> else mm-hmm. is peripheral. Everything else." goes but if he doesn't have a good heart you don't have anything that's what yeah. you, he said that's what you take to bed at the end of the day at yeah. Night. He's cer- yeah he's certainly that skinny handsome guy who later on has a beer belly and a, you know a chillin <laughs> belly that's not that's not why you're marrying him because right. he's right so right, right. So, I, I, if you don't mind, I would like to end with one quote yes. from the Rebbe. Yes, tell us. Because this kind of encompasses all of it. 
considering what I talked about with polishing our gems, doing good self-care, and loving our fellow Jew, and doing the you know emotional intelligence, the Rebbe said something many many years ago, which again it was very prophetic, and it wasn't. It, it, it's true, but in reality, in that day, the statement was not true, and I'll explain why I'm saying that. The Rebbe said all physicians are in agreement. Guess what? That's not true. <laughs> There's never all physicians are in agreement. But what he's going to say now is only that physicians get it now. Mm-hmm. This is 50, 40 years later. All physicians are in agreement that a joyful and happy state of mind increases physical, mental, and spiritual health and well-being and assists in the healing process. The Rebbe is talking about epigenetics. This is this is stuff that's coming out in the last five, ten years. It's <laughs> the Rebbe was way ahead. Right. In those days, physicians didn't agree. And even today, you got the Western medical model <laughs> that's not listening to the this new epigenetic model. But all of those people are in absolute agreement. If you're happy, you'll heal better. You'll feel better. A hundred percent. So a hundred percent. Rustavor, I also want to end up by emphasizing something that you mentioned, and I think it's important to stress it again because people might say, "Well, I'm not like that. I'm not. I wasn't born emotionally intelligent, or uh, I'm just not good. a happy Thank person." You. And I I'm just so stress, sorry that I didn't mention no, it. But, yes, but you did mention that we can train our brains. That really, yes. and Carol Dweck, if anybody's familiar with her yes, work, mindset. also talks about this mindset from a fixed yes. mindset to a growth mindset we are meant to develop ourselves to grow to the, the brain is elastic we can do all this all these things yeah. it's not like one person yeah. is this way and the other one is that way <laughs> yes exactly what i wanted to say is right it's neuroplastic mm-hmm. it can be it can grow and even even with a personality type and with really bad patterns and with really bad habits and even if you think that genetics are at play because my mom had it and her mom had it so what they say about emotional intelligence is that you can in fact change you can and the and Hasidus and the Torah have always said it but modern science 50 years ago said the brain stops growing at age 17 you're done and your genes are what and I don't mean your blue genes but your genetics are your destiny oh well your grandmother had cancer and her mother had cancer so you god forbid are no that's totally a falsehood an absolute falsehood right so if anybody takes one takeaway from today's conversation is that you can work on yourself whatever it is that that and everybody should do again a se- have self-awareness and a cheshman and nefesh of where we need we need to be yeah, what yeah. do be i working it, on. can i do this on my own do i need a friend do i need a, a mashpia or a mentor or do i need a therapist let's be self self honest right self you know self-aware of what do i need to do but i could do it whatever changes to make my life better more more joyful more you know just be in a better place in a better state of mind we can all achieve achieve it and i think we got a lot of practical tips on how to do that and i want to tell you i'm today i'm just happier just by having had this intelligent conversation with you wonderful yeah (laughs) see it's good for your brain so everybody again who's Devorah Wallace is at TorahTherapeutics.com. That's Torah without an H. And again, it was such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. It's always very fun and interesting. And you're a great interviewer. And I look forward to the next time. Thank you. 
thanks to Ruth Devorah for stopping by again and sharing her insights with us. I found this conversation fascinating and there's a lot for us to learn here. First, don't forget to make that phone call and take the time to have a conversation with another human being. That's exactly what I'm going to go do right now. You can find Ruth Devorah Wallen at torahtherapeutics.com and of course, you can go back to episode 49 and brush up on incredible insights there as well as the link to her audios and the beginner's meditation and her breathing contest. All of that I have found personally incredibly helpful. That's all back on jewishlatinprincess.com episode 49. Thanks for being a part of the show. I hope you're having a great summer. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.